Welcome to season three of Game Design Unboxed on the No Direction Network. Daniel Reynolds talks to tabletop game designers about the games they've made. Together, they unbox how the game went from inspiration to publication. Thank you for joining me, Danielle, for Game Design Unbox, Inspiration to Publication, Episode 57, Mazes Fantasy Roleplaying. So today we are joined by Chris O'Neill, which is fun because we just talked to Heather, uh, the other co-owner of Ninth Level Games, as well as a board game and RPG designer, uh, and, you know, the creator of the game we're talking about today. So thanks for being on the show, Chris. Thanks, Danielle. Yeah, the fun thing is, is uh, Heather is the CEO of Nine Football Games, but I am the founder of Nine Football Games. There you go. So, there you go. actually, let's talk about the name Nine Football Games. Where did that come from? Uh, it's a fun story. So, in the early days of DIY uh, gaming company, so it's the late '90s we're talking about here. Um, uh, a group of friends of mine and I decided we were going to create an online game retailer. And I wanted to call it uh, First Level Games because I wanted it to be the first thing to show up on the list. Okay. And uh, in the early days of the pre-SEO internet. Uh, and we talked to a bunch of people and they were all like, man, it sounds so weak. And so uh, I was like, well, what if it was Ninth Level Games? And everybody was like, oh, that's cool. Uh, and uh, it actually ended up being... Very funny because this is probably this is way before your time, but it's way before probably most people's times. Uh, there is an infamous movie in the role playing community called Mazes and Monsters, um, starring a very young Tom Hanks. And in that movie, they get the rules to Dungeons and Dragons super wrong. And one of the rules they get wrong is the love interest says, well, what level do you play at? And Tom Hanks says, uh, the ninth level. And she says, oh, that's amazing. Isn't it great when you get to make your own scenarios? Uh, and we think that line's so funny. So it just dovetails. And that's how those two things crashing together made ninth level, ninth level games. Beautiful. And so then how did you get into the gaming industry initially? Is that how? Uh, no, actually. Um, so I've always been uh, a gamer. I grew up in a like a card playing household. Uh, we had lots of board games. Um, in the 1980s, I lived through like the computer gaming revolution, like Commodore VIC 20s and Commodore 64s and stuff. And I, I think I found my first copy of Dungeons and Dragons in 1981, 82. Um, but uh, by high school, I was completely role playing is all I really cared about. I loved loved role playing, and then had a job in a bookstore where I met someone that um worked for Chessex, uh, who at the time wasn't just the people that made dice; they were a game distributor. And I got a job at Chessex, um, and so I worked in a warehouse that sold games. And that's really how I got into games. That's how I got into going to conventions. And we realized, like, oh, we can make our own games. We could sell our own games. And by the late 90s, it was still a while off from really great desktop publishing tools. But there were enough desktop publishing tools that we could make things happen. Very cool. Sweet. Yeah. And so then for the spotlight for this episode, we're talking about your RPG mazes. You want to explain how you play it? 
Yeah. Uh, so Mazes is different than a lot of other role-playing games um, in the fact that uh, instead of most games, you are rolling a die and you are, uh, you are trying to, you know, roll high or roll low. That's like really what you're trying to do mechanically. And um, in Mazes, the core underlying system, which is called Polymorph, uh, after a lifetime of development, uh, it actually works like this. You, each individual player is assigned a polyhedral die, a D4, a D6, a D8, or a D10. And whenever they want to do something, they're trying to roll specific numbers on a resolution table. Uh, and so because of that, it doesn't require any math. It doesn't require the lookups are just on your character sheet. So you don't, you don't need to pick up a book. Um, it's instantly grokkable if you're six years old or 60 years old. Uh, and then we spend the rest of the, you know, your complexity budget on emulating the activities around the story. Um, and so in mazes, we sat down and said like, what would a, dungeon role-playing game. A, I'm going down into the dungeons to kill monsters and take the treasure. Look like if it was designed completely today. But at the same time, we still want it to feel like that game because there's a reason that people keep going back to it. Um, And it's because there's some excitement, but there's also just a lot of, it's not just nostalgia. It's just, it's a fun world to live in. Uh, you know, and so we built up a bunch of systems around that, and all those systems are our goal is that all of the systems within mazes, especially, but poly polymorph, uh, 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 you know, as well, uh, grow logically from the core set of rules. Um, and so the core set of rules are as follows: when I want to take an action, I'm probably going to roll my die. Uh, and I'm going to roll against a set of numbers, and those numbers have been tried and true. Um, And so if I want to do something that is... uh, There's basically four core actions, and they are think about something, move around, um, resolve this conflict, or uh, resist this conflict. Um, So in mazes, those are called books, boots, blades, and bones. Um, there's also the fact that you could roll the lowest number on your die. You could roll a one. We call that a key. Anytime you roll your key, if it's something that your character should be able to do, it's successful. Or you could roll a crown, which is the highest number of your die, and that affects the darkness in the game, which is uh, a mechanic that is powered by the game master. Interesting. So your lowest number is a good thing. I feel like I'm always so used to like, you got to roll 20. Yeah. Rolling higher, rolling low doesn't have anything to do with it. Right. Uh, And in fact, that's one of the things that's interesting. So, um, so books is you want to roll a two or a three. So if you have a smaller die, you're going to roll twos and threes more often. So if you have a small die, rolling books is easy. If you're rolling a D10, rolling a two or three is difficult. Um, but if you're a character that's good at uh, a perception or a thinking role, which would be books on a D10, you could also roll a one or roll a 10. And that might also be successful. Our mantra in the game is, you know, characters should be successful at what they want to do. 
as long as what they're doing is what they're supposed to do. So if I'm the old wizard, right, hitting someone with a club, I'm not good at that. So <laughs> occasionally sense. I'm going to succeed if I try that. But if I'm trying to read an old book or light someone on fire with magic, I want that to happen all the time. It's only interesting to fail sometimes. And a lot of games are based on simulation where they're trying to uh, they're trying to enact the physics of a of an imaginary world. And we don't we're not concerned with that. I'm not concerned with simulation at all. We're concerned with emulation. We're trying to create a feeling so that it feels like something specifically. And in the, in, in the case of mazes, we're trying to emulate, you know, Dungeons and Dragons, which it, it turns out that emulating D&D is a lot more fun than playing D&D. Interesting. Why would you say that? Uh, when people play mazes, uh, one of the most common things that we get is, is this is what it looks like when people play D&D on TV. Right. It looks like the Stranger Things kids playing D&D instead of, you know, three hours to resolve a conflict or a combat because we had to look up all of these things and, you know, figure how far away I was and do, do I have enough spell slots and all that. It's more just like, I do this thing. Can I do that? Sure. Give it a try. Give me a roll of die. Oh, that's awesome. That worked. Awesome. Uh, you know, it turns everybody into a bunch of screaming 12-year-olds which is what D&D should do. Uh, at least we think so. There are definitely people that don't want to play mazes, right? There's definitely people that want a character sheet with 300 lines of text uh, and require system mastery of 20 years of playing the game in order to enjoy it. That's just not what we, we set out to make. Yeah. What do your character sheets then look like in comparison? So our character sheet everything that you need to play the game is on the character sheet. So one side of the character sheet is what's your name? What is your aspect, right? So there's three aspects in mazes. Are you a sword? Meaning I resolve my problems with violence. Am I a shadow? I resolve my problems with strategy and subterfuge. Or are you a sorcerer? You know, uh, you know, sorcery. Do you resolve your, your problems with magic? Uh, your class and then each class is has questions to answer, and those questions come up with basically the answers to those questions are three edges. So it might be like, oh, I'm fast, I'm deadly, and I'm charming, right? And those are those. So you have that, and then below that information is uh, there's a set where you can put your conditions. So conditions are things like you're hurt or tired. And below that are how many hearts you have, which are your hit points, and how many stars you have, which are your magic points or your your cool stuff points. And then the other half of the character sheet is literally the resolver, the thing that you look at in order to roll the dice. And that's literally all you need to play the game. And so because of that, it fits on half a sheet of paper. It takes a few minutes to make a character. And uh, you, you should not have to look at the book again while you're playing the game. So interesting. Yeah, because I feel like for me as a player, I haven't done many RPGs. The first yeah. time I ever played Dungeons & Dragons was live on a one-shot that took like three weeks and like three-hour sessions. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I jumped in for sure, but I was just like the thing that always intimidated me was, of course, like the time commitment with the same group, but 
really the system itself because like it always felt very math heavy. It felt bland and boring to me, almost like when I look at a board game that has a theme I don't care about. And uh, so, is, uh, you yeah. know, one of the things that's super funny is is uh, you 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 recently just talked to Heather and Neil and Heather. Uh, doesn't care about the theme. Like she's just a mechanic when it comes to game design and games. Um, and so like Dungeons and Dragons is off putting to her. Interesting. But uh, you know, one of the big things is like, so we were just at PAX unplugged back in December, last December. Uh, and we had a setup with uh, some miniatures terrain, no miniatures themselves, just the terrain. Uh, and we had character sheets that were like very colorful and placed all around this terrain. And we had groups of six people playing a complete game where they like fought a Phoenix and ran down a hallway and then like had to settle a trap and then negotiate a magic thing and then make a decision. And that was taking 15 minutes. Damn. Which yeah, because I know this is like very hours. good for like one shots and stuff. So like, yeah. I guess walk through that, like how long, does this game typically take? We, uh, our goal um, for mazes is that a game is designed to take less than three hours. Um, And it's funny because my chief maze controller, the guy that runs most of our games at shows and stuff and does, uh, he writes a monthly module that comes out on drive through RPG. He and I are like, diametrically opposed about how we play games and how we run them. He's like, I got to plan everything. Everything's got to be scripted. Everything's got to be known. And I'm way more seat of the pants. Let's see where the story goes. Um, uh, but I have finally gotten him to follow what I call the five room rule. So we design games with this idea that says there are five, there are five points in the game. There's five action decisions or five set pieces, or five scenes, right? In a dungeon, for, like, mazes specifically, you can think of it as five rooms. There's five things to do. Uh, And when you follow the instructions that are, like, in the maze uh, hardcover um, around this, it's very simple to be like, oh, I, you know, okay, I'm going to put a hazard in this room. Each of the rooms is going to have some kind of hazard. It's a trap, or a monster, or you know, a negotiation or whatever that thing might be. And if you do it just that way in mazes, you're looking at two hours of gameplay uh, and then an hour for people screwing around because that's the reality (laughs) of playing a a tabletop role-playing game. Um, And we started doing that because, again, we've been writing, we've been making games since the 90s, been running games in the convention since, at at conventions since the mid-90s, and kind of the entire time have always been focused on a two-hour block instead of a four-hour block. Because my ADHD, four hours is a lot of time. Two hours, I can handle two hours. And again, I would rather play five two-hour games than play one ten-hour game. I'm the exact same, especially when it comes to board games. There are certain times I'm like, yeah, I'll play this day-long game, but that's a rare occasion. I, I need, uh, I definitely need some liquor if I'm going to play like Game of Thrones board game or something like that, where I'm, I'm making like a seven-hour commitment. Like I said, oh. rare occasion. But <laughs> <laughs> okay, so then 
what made you decide to create this new system versus like taking a system that was already out there and just licensing it? Yeah, that's a great question. Uh, and very topical as we, when we are recording, this is in the middle of the OGL debacle going on on the internet right now. So I am a game designer. I've designed card games. I've designed board games. I've been tweaking Dungeons and Dragons and role-playing games since I was a little kid. Um, and uh, I love old D&D, and I've never really been a huge fan of the new stuff. Um, and so uh, since the 90s have been... I, I have a room. I have a... Here in the theater of your mind, everyone, you close your... Imagine... Imagine a small yellow office where you can't see any of the yellow because every available space is covered with a bookshelf. Oh, wow. And on most of those bookshelves are either a fantasy novel or a role-playing game. That's where I live. That's, 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 that's my, uh, you know, piece. So I have been trying to create the game that I wanted to play forever. And uh, interestingly enough, the actual spark that lights and creates Polymorph, uh, again, the system underneath mazes, was trying to make a a dungeon-crawling board game where each player was their own single die. Because elegance and simplicity is, like, my obsession in gaming. I love, like, I love 18-card games. Like something like Tussie Mussy, I think is far more interesting than Twilight Imperium. It's always easy to make a giant thing that sprawls. Like to make something super tight and compelling is so hard. Where every every piece is important, um, and that was that was really kind of the drive from a systems perspective. Um, and then, so we made this polymorph game and started assigning it to different themes. So like one of the first ones that we made was uh, the excellence, which is excellent princess role playing. Um, one was uh, we did a game. We did a bunch of play tests in a world we had designed for a card game that was going to be published by another company that uh, did not come to pass. Um, that was like alternate history Rome in the, 1600s with giant steam mechs and you know like crazy super crazy stuff and um uh you know but we were showing the 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 power of the system and how you could do all these different things with it and then steve sedgety from billy pulpit who is uh he's the he's the other half he's the quiet half of billy pulpit uh jason morningstar and steve sedgety that did a fiasco um Steve is like, you need to make a fantasy game of this or someone else will. And are, are you, Danielle, are you familiar with the term fantasy heartbreaker? No, I'm not. All right. So in the world of role-playing games, there is this term, and I, I love it so much. It's, uh, it's so much so that one of the possible names for mazes was fantasy heartbreaker. That was, that was a potential name for this game. Um, a fantasy heartbreaker is this big giant fantasy role-playing game where the person says to you, well, it's better than Dungeons and Dragons, but really all it is is someone's ego mortgaging their house and losing it because they printed 10,000 copies and no one bought one. Uh, I was always afraid of making mazes 
because I was afraid it would be a fantasy heartbreaker. Oh, that's so sad. I'm glad it didn't end up being that. <laughs> it's not. No, and that's what's so exciting about it because it's, you know, uh, it, it is the game that I always wanted to make. So, And the fact that it's really getting, um, you know, groundswell, you know, it's slowly really ratcheting up as people are starting to be like, oh, yeah, you know. Um, very excited for where it's going to go. I was going to say, yeah, because now you have the system that your company's been using, but also other people have reached out to you to use the system. How does that work? So much like the OGL, uh, we have a uh, we have an actual working uh, license that you can get, and there's three licenses. Um, one's called so th- this is a this is a joke, you know, for certain certain types of of role playing fans. Um, we call the system Polymorph. So there's Polymorph Self, there's Polymorph Other, and there's Mass Polymorph are the three licenses. If you laughed at that joke, then uh, you might be the kind of person that might want to use one of these licenses. So if you want to make a project and you want to give it away for free, or you want to use it on something like ZineQuest, um, it's a completely free license. You can use our systems and you can use our stuff. Um, if you want to put it up for sale, um, and it's under a certain level, a uh, certain size, um, you can get what's called the polymorph other license. And it's basically, you, you, you have to pay us a hundred bucks and, and you can do that. And then there's polymorph mass polymorph. If you are a large company, we have yet to, um, write any mass polymorph licenses, but we've written a couple of polymorph other licenses and there's been a bunch of polymorph games that have been on zine quest and we're seeing more of them. Uh, that's very exciting. Uh, a lot of times when people play one of our games, um, especially mazes, but any of the games, they play it, and the first thing that they think of is, this, oh, I could use this system to play X. Like, I could play Cyberpunk with this, or I could play, like, and, and they're, they're, uh, the wheels start turning for them, uh, and we encourage that. So when you say size, do you mean, like, page count? Uh, yeah, it means, like, like what's, you know, uh, like, I think the polymorph other licenses like up to 200 pages or something like that. I forget exactly. Basically the long and short of it is, and this is actually, it's funny. It's one of the problems that the OGL is having right now with wizards where wizards is trying to recoup what they're looking at as lost revenue. So another really, a real, another really famous open license is powered by the apocalypse. Um, and Vincent Baker and the people that made, um, powered by the apocalypse makes no make, they make no money when someone makes a powered by the apocalypse game but they do have like a fund where you can be like hey if you made some money from a powered by the apocalypse game you want to give us some money uh you know so instead of like kind Wait, of so they do more around, like a tip jar like hey it's we like a did giant this thank jar. you yeah. hey um i created an entire series of games and now you can do these things we're just trying to get ahead of that so we basically are like if you want to make fan stuff um, or you want to make free product, go ahead. You know, we're not going to get in the way. Uh, but if you're going to like publish a hardcover or something, you know, please, please give us some of them. And also part of that is, is just us knowing that those games exist. So every day we get some emails. There's a thing on our website you can go to and you can request. We don't just put the, what we call it, um, we call it the sword document, the systems world and other resources document. So it's sort of like an SRD um, that is available for other games, but this one is his focus. It, it, it's really, it's less a book about polymorph and it's more of a thing that says, all right, let's think about 
uh, how you use the polymorph way of role, running or creating a role playing game to create your game. It's more of a kit for creating a game than it is anything else. Interesting. So then when you were initially playtesting mazes, what did that look like when you were developing the system and the game, the initial game with the system? So we spent most of our time. So we had actually, it's funny, the first game that we designed with the system was uh, would later come out and be called The Very Good Dogs of Chernobyl. Uh, so we had that. And then we had another system, another game called Service. Um, and they, they were like proto polymorph games. Um, and so we did a lot of play tests with that and we learned a lot about the system and a lot of that went back into the system itself. Um, and then, like I said, we, we did a bunch of, uh, play tests about different kinds of things. And then it was, okay, well, how do you express this as this fantasy game? And so like, I went back into the tank and like did a lot of design work and then just basically got all these different groups together that were people that I knew played different kinds of fantasy role-playing games and then just threw them in the deep end, right? Because again, part of the goal of the game from a playing perspective was that if I knew how to play it, you wouldn't need to have to learn how to play it. Does that make sense? Like one of the problems with role-playing games can often be, until you learn how to play it, you're not really going to get it. No, that's fair. But, I mean, honestly, your system seems pretty straightforward to it's me. It's pretty straightforward. Yeah. Straightforward. At this point, I think I've played three different systems of RPGs. <laughs> so <laughs> I at least have enough context <laughs> to understand it. Right. And uh, the um, so we spent a lot of time testing where it was me running the game and just, like, getting feedback from people. Then what I did is I put together – the first manuscript and I got it out to some of uh, some of our people that were good at running fantasy role-playing games and said, go run some games. And was very lucky that um, uh, Patrick Clapp, uh, one of my dearest friends was just, he became completely enamored with it. He was just like, this is a, Oh, okay, let's go. Uh, and now he writes a lot of stuff for us. And, um, you know, so then, uh, then I started to use Patrick as my like primary, uh, play tester. So I would make changes or I would do some system stuff and then he had like an ongoing game. So I would just drop it into the thing and then Patrick could test it in the real world. Um, but like all the designs, you know, Mazes has been very iterative. So the first version of the game came out in uh, as uh, zines, as part of Kickstarter's zine quest. And then uh, we put the zines out, and then we played it with people for like a year and a half in the real world um, before we consolidated the roles and came out with the hardcover. So, you know, uh, the, the version that's in the hardcover is only slightly different than the version in the original zines, but that difference is the development coming from a, a huge amount of real world play testing. So, or real world play, I should say, not even play testing. Yeah. That's so interesting. The thought that like technically it is a game, but it's not the physical product yet. Interesting. Well, and that's actually kind of true about role-playing Yeah, because I know board. a lot of them is like the RPG, like drive-through. Is that what it's called? What is the program that you can download those from? 
drive through is, uh, you know, for PDFs, for electronic gotcha. copies. Um, but the thing with role-playing games, it's different than the only games that are sort of like that are kind of like card games. So, like, something like Magic the Gathering is in, from a development and design perspective, they design these cards, but then you play games with those cards, and sometimes those games have nothing to do with what the developers were working on. So every time someone makes a deck that breaks the game, that's just someone developing a new way to play the game or comes up with a new format or, you know, oh, we're going to play with 17 cards in our decks and our eyes are blindfolded the whole time. But that's what role-playing is always like, you know. No one plays the games the way that they come out of the book. Everyone is playing their own homebrew game, right? Oh, in my world, all the elves have purple hair. Okay. Yeah, I feel like the thing I liked about about RPGs is it's very much just a game of yes. It's improv. It's just like, yes, but like you have to have a good reason and then roll some dice and see if it actually works out or not. <laughs> Mazes is a, a very much a game of yes, and a lot of role-playing games aren't. Um it seems like they should be, um, yeah. but most people don't actually play them that way. They're like, well, show me where it says in the rules that you can do that. Um, and I, I, I think one of the divides, and we talk about it. So um, one of the things that we talk about in mazes uh, is the difference between old school and new school. And one of the things in old school role playing was very yes and, right? Like, Oh, do you want to try that? Okay, well, I don't know if you can do that. Can you do that? I don't know. Tell me. How do you do that? Right? Where um, where new school games are very highly prescribed, this is how you do that. So I, when I want to do the thing, oh, can I jump across this ravine? Okay. Well, in Dungeons & Dragons third you know second edition third edition fourth edition fifth edition how you jump across that ravine there's a rule that's written that says this is how you do it but in the original version there wasn't anything about it so everyone would come up with a way to do it well how do i do that i don't know roll dexterity that seems good oh roll mm-hmm. strength that seems good why don't you try that are you yeah. are, 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 you know um so old school games really do focus on that and mazes even though it's hyper new when it comes to the kind of rules and the kind of actions you're doing really embraces that idea. Right. Which is like, uh, you know, get your players to tell you what they want to do. And then maybe there's a chance it doesn't work because that will keep it interesting. Cause if you just say yes, every time um, that's uninteresting, right? There has to be some tension. For sure, yeah. I feel like the few campaigns that I've done of RPGs, I've always enjoyed the DMs that go more like story based, and it's yeah. like they're not—they're not trying to stop you from doing the fun thing, but they are definitely giving you ways for there to be something that will happen, so it doesn't always happen exactly as you planned. Like you can't hit on the hag to get the free—I don't know, whatever—from them, or like you can't just defeat this dragon by punching it in the throat. It's like we need a little bit of tension there. <laughs> Uh, you know, but like uh, in, in mazes, if you were like, well, I want to hit on that hag and it's like, OK, well, are you beautiful? Like, because there's an edge called beautiful. <laughs> and it's like, well, then I, yeah, awesome. you could definitely hit on the hag. That seems like a thing. Um, but where else someone else is like, I'm going to hit on the hag. And it's like, OK, well, what do you do? Right. Like 
Basis doesn't want you to roll a die for that. They want you, I want you to tell me what you do, right? Unless you have something special, right? Yeah. Oh, I have I have uh, fire magic, so I'm going to affect her emotions. I want that hag's yeah. heart beating. That's so you know? funny. I love it. Uh, and how we deal with that in mazes is you, you have this resource called stars, um, which are kind of the opposite of hit points. So in in mazes, if I have if I'm the D four, I have four hearts and four stars, and if I'm the D ten, I have ten hearts, but I only have one star. Um, and hearts are how much damage I can take when I'm doing combat and then, or falling, you know, physically and those kind of things. And stars are like that, but they're for story. I spend it to say, I want to do this thing in the story. So if you said to me, I want to hit on that hag, I would say, Oh, she's, she's absolutely hideous. But if you're willing to spend a star to suck it up, <laughs> I'm okay Damn. with that. That's, that's so funny. Uh, uh, and so we have a rule in the game, which is like, you don't have to roll dice if you spend a resource. And one of the pr- the primary resources you're going to spend is stars. So, Gotcha. And it because you don't great. have a ton of them, you yeah, really you just a, you save them up and use them for like worst case scenario. Um, or you, you do them to do like really cool stuff. So if I'm the D4, I'm not really good at combat, but I have a lot of stars. So I can be like, oh, well, I'm going, I know how to, I, I have air magic and I'm going to spend a star so that we can fly up to the top of the building. All right. That sounds great. Right. Um, you know, the game itself is helping you focus each of the character types and the classes and the aspects are helping you focus, to make it easier for um, maybe someone that's not as good at improv um, to get involved in that story element. I also like a lot of times people be like, oh, my roles are just so bad tonight. Like at yeah. least if you're having a bad night, you can just use some stars up. So maybe choose a character that's got more stars. Uh, yeah. You know, um, uh, do you know Josh Heek? I don't I know a lot of Joshes. <laughs> sure. I kind of wish there'd be less, less of Joshes. certain names. <laughs> <laughs> cough cough Chris. <laughs> uh, yeah, yeah. Come on. I was I was born in the 70s. Everyone's name was Chris. Yeah, no. I mean my brother is Nick and there's a stupid amount of Nicks. It's really hard. I can go through a whole sentence and say like five different Nicks I know. I like it's to, hard. Uh when I was in grade school, I had a friend named Nick whose real name was Chris. Okay. So, so, like, so there you go. Yeah, I was gonna say so both Santa names. <laughs> so the uh, weird. Uh, uh, yeah, uh, our, our good buddy Josh is uh, he. He's always like, "Oh, you got to play the D four. Uh, you got to be the D four because uh, rolling dice sucks, and I, I just need all the stars in the world." Because um, because he's like he's like if I have to roll dice, I know I'm gonna fail, but it's okay if I can spend a star, I will. Um. Uh, which is funny because a lot of people, uh, and it's one of my favorite things about mazes. It doesn't happen in our other polymorph games much, but mazes, the debate of which die is best comes up a lot. Um, and the thing is, is they're all kind of balanced. Uh, we've done, I've done the math a lot. In fact, the game used to have a D12 in it, and we had to get rid of the D12, much to our uh, you know pain because we love the D12 uh, because the math worked out better. Um, uh, each of the dice is a different kind of role that you're doing, R-O-L-E in the game uh, and so as long as you are 
playing to that R-O-L-E, your R-O-L-L is better. So, like, if you were like, what I want to do in this game is I want to smash faces. I want to stab people with knives and blow them up, that kind of stuff. You Like, you want to be the D8 because you are almost always going to be successful when you're attacking. But if you're like, hey, you know what I really want to do? I want to be everywhere. I want to run around. I want to jump. I want to, I always want to be in the forefront. Then you want to be the D6. You're going to be okay when you fight, but you're going to very seldomly fail when you're moving around. You know, the D4 is, I want, I want that control. I want to be really good at the things that I'm good at. And I want to be crappy at everything else. And the D10 is all about uh, survival. I want to survive. I want to be durable. I don't care what happens. I'm still going to be, I'm still going to be kicking. So. And I'm assuming that you can have multiple players playing as the same dice or, Mm -hmm. okay. Yeah. So everyone does get a selection. It's not like, oh, this is taken, sucks to suck. You're now the D8. (laughs) Well, which is super fun when, um, you know, uh, I'm sure you've heard this term. There's another old D&D term, which is a four color party, meaning we have one of each character class. We have a thief, we have a wizard, we have a fighter, we have a cleric. Um, and so a lot of people are like, well, we have to be a four-color party. We all need to have one of the dice. And it's like, you don't. Um, just understand that what you're going to do is going to be different. If everyone's rolling D8s, then you are you are going to fight, and you're not going to be good <laughs> at anything except fighting. <laughs> yeah. uh, if you have a bunch of D4s, then maybe fighting's not for you. Run away, run away. Uh, but there's no, there's nothing holding you back, um, you know, from doing that. And one of, uh, from a fantasy perspective, one of the things that's fun is mazes let you kind of mix and match traditional roles with different character classes. Um, so you can be the fighter that is really good at thinking, or you can be the wizard that's really good at doing damage, or you can be the, the thief that no one can kill. Uh, because we all really know that that's just fiction. The mechanics that are driving that are based on the dice. They're not really based on... There isn't any difference between I do a lot of damage because I'm shooting an arrow or I do a lot of damage because I throw fireballs. Um, have you ever played uh, Elder Scrolls? Like Skyrim or any of those video games? No, but I do know them. All right. So uh, those are those games are really good in the fact that they're, they're very good at the idea that's like, it doesn't really matter. Like, all it really, all I really want to know is, is like, are you do you, are you trying to do more damage or are you trying to be more defensive, right? Because if you're trying to be more defensive, you want you want to one hand it and a shield, and if you want to do more damage, you want a two handed weapon. But they don't really care what the weapon is. Like you can change, like you could have a sword to make it look like an axe. It doesn't matter, and 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 mazes follows that same kind of thing. It's just the fiction, the mechanics. The mechanics are handling it for you. Oh, that's cool. It sounds like it's very simplistic with a lot of flexibility. Yeah, I like to say that it's complex, but not complicated. Yeah. Well, when I think of like some of my favorite board games, it's not that they have a ton. Like there might be a lot going on, but you're really only doing like one or two things. So like there's a ton of options to think about, but really you're just doing one of two actions or whatever it is. Uh, My favorite kind of thing, like being like, well, here are the seven things you can do. And you'd be like, no. I don't want seven things to do. Yeah. I want to do. I want one thing to do. Mm-hmm. Yep. <laughs> I want a choice. Yep. 
It's so funny. And so then how did you end up later on with the partnership with Return to the Dark Tower? So Return to the Dark Tower is a great story. Um, uh, so I am the right age to remember the Dark Tower, the original game. Um, and uh, I knew it and I loved it. And then I saw that Restoration was doing it and I was very excited. I was like, I can't wait to get a new, new game. Um, and one of the game designers at Restoration is our good friend, Brian Neff. Uh, and so we had the opportunity to play some early versions of it. And what we did, it was like, a, it was like a blinding light where it was just like, Oh my God, this has so much, uh, alignment with mazes. You know, again, it's already a fantasy world. It's already a fantasy game about fighting monsters and taking their treasure and doing this stuff. Um, but just like all of the actions in the game and the iconography and the choices that they made were so akin to mazes. So we, we talked to Brian and, and Brian set up a meeting, uh, you know, with, uh, uh, with Justin and Rob at restoration and we sent them all our mazes stuff. And uh, they were like, they were excited by the idea. They were really into it. Uh, they were like, we don't know how to make a role-playing game. We don't know how to publish a role-playing game. We want a role-playing game for Return to Dark Tower. Uh, we think you guys are going to do great. Uh, you know, let's do some business. Uh, and so uh, we had a pretty successful Kickstarter. The game itself is, is at this point, in editing. Um, we had a lot to play test. We had a lot to do um, to bring the real spirit of the game across. And it is interesting. So um, Mazes... And Return to Dark Tower are compatible, completely compatible. You can play a character from one in the other game. Um, but that doesn't mean that they're the same game, uh, which is interesting and, and, and it seems kind of weird. Because in Mazes, the game is about going down into the dungeon. And in Return to Dark Tower, the game is about building up your forces so that you can have the final confrontation with the big bad. Mazes is more like uh, Conan, and Return to Dark Tower is more like Return or, or uh, you know, Lord of the Rings. Um, you're telling a different kind of story, same kind of activities, but the emulation that's going on in the game is different. So in Return to Dark Tower, you have uh, you have a big bad. Um, you're playing it over a series in a campaign frame over a series of different games. Um, the outcomes of your activities, instead of it being like, oh, I got this treasure. It's like, oh, well, we failed to stop him, the adversary from getting this thing, or we stopped the adversary from getting this thing. And um, it's tracking where you are around the board and stuff. It's And it's really cool. And the book itself is going to be gorgeous. So um, uh, it's just waiting for final editing now. Um, you know, but it's a big, thick book with all of this incredible art from, uh, you know, from the board game. That's awesome. Yeah, I remember seeing at Pax Unplugged your booth with that little uh, cocktail t- size table, I yes. think it was, and it had it. Yeah, it, like it definitely was eye catching. The uh, uh, yeah, the pieces are just going to be like. Uh, there's also some weird. We we built some weird stuff. Like we have a dice tower. Um, and, and, and some other things like that. So there's some really fun stuff uh, that was part of the campaign. Um, 
that, you know, because it's that intersection point between role playing and board games. And, um, I mean, Dark Tower itself is kind of like a very role playing heavy board game. And so the role playing game has some very board gaming element. Cool. Yeah. Hopefully it'll be in people's hands by the you know end of the summer. That's so, awesome. That's our, goal. that's our goal. Very cool. And so then for the initial game of Mazes, I guess, how long did it take from the initial idea of the RPG to, I guess, digitally having it out for people and then physically having the like book? Well, the, see, what's actually funny is, is the first version of it was, wasn't digital. The first version was zines. It was little, you know. Oh, okay. Uh, staple paper. In fact, we didn't put it out digitally um, because we were trying to play on this. It's a game. It, it feels like a game from the seventies. Um, and so people would be like, well, when can I get the PDF and be like, Oh, we're not doing PDF. Uh, and they'd be like, what do you mean? And it'd be like, uh, it's only available as zines. Um, and we did that for like a year and a half just to be pains in the ass. Uh, because we knew that what we really wanted was not a bunch of these, the, the first version of the game out as PDF because we wanted to wait until we did the hardcover and we had like that final piece. Um, so between uh, coming up with the original idea and the first version of Polymorph took me, uh, I don't know, 25 years, 30 years. Oh, is that all? Yeah, just about that. I mean, <laughs> because it's, it's, it's a distillation of yeah. so many different games and so many ideas before that. In between us launching our first Polymorph game, which I think came out in 2018, 2019, 2018, let's say 2018. Um, oh yeah, so I mean, here we go. I, I, I can figure it out. This is, yeah, 2018. This is, uh, it's going to be Zine Quest V this year, 2023. So the first mazes came out in 20. The end of 2018, that the zine came out, and then last year, uh, like March of 2022, was when the hardcover came out. So, um, we did two years of the zines, and we did all of the zine stuff, and then that. So, from a development perspective, now we're a little different than a lot of other people because we literally do everything in house except art. So we hired artists, but literally everything else we did, we did the writing, we did the graphic design, we did the layout, you know, we even did all the sourcing for the, for the books. Like we even do them, we do them domestically. Like they don't even, that, that, that doesn't even use like a, uh, an overseas manufacturer or anything. So. Damn. Yeah. I feel like it is a lot easier with RPGs to get stuff Much. in North America. Cause I, I know a lot of, manufacturers or book publishers up in Canada and even a few in the United States. Yeah. There's, there's quite a few in Canada, uh, quite a few in the United States. Turns out we got a lot of trees. We make a little what? bit of paper. We make a little <laughs> bit of paper. That's so funny. Um, oh man. Okay. Well then hey, for like mazes, what was your favorite and your least favorite experience of the journey of that design? That very long journey. My favorite part of the design was the day when uh, my least favorite part was when I had to get rid of the D12. Um, and in, in fact, the there's like a there's a picture we call it the polymorph. It says like powered by polymorph, and above it it shows a D4, a D6, D8, and a D10. But the yeah. original version of that showed the D4, the the D6, the D8, the D10, and a D12, uh, and it looked great. Um, 
Uh, but when we had to kill the D12, it was like it was like losing a friend. It was like, you know, uh, like, oh, but I love that die. But it, it, it's all because uh, when it made the math work perfectly, it was just like it was after years of tinkering and doing this little thing and playtesting that piece and doing that thing to actually be like, oh, this is it. You know, it would be like if you were like playing a guitar riff and there was always a note that was wrong and you just you couldn't figure out which note was and then you hit it right. And then you'd be like, ah, that's how it's supposed to sound. Yeah. Uh, uh, And probably my favorite bit in the design process was when everyone else got on board. Um, Like I knew Uh, I knew ahead of time that like I was like into this, but like to get Heather and Adriel, my other partners and, you know, some of our designers and stuff to just be like, no, this is what we want to do. We want to do this. Um, it's very, uh, gratifying to see something that you've been working on for a really long time. Um, you know, really come together and get a bunch of other people excited about it. Yeah, no, that definitely makes sense. I mean, you're basically greenlighting a project you spent 25 years on. So I could see that being a high point for you. Yeah, I mean, I, you know, I'm joking when I say 25 years. It's, you know, uh, it's 25 years of doing a bunch of other stuff that just all of those pieces led to this game. Yeah, that makes sense. It was all the years of like playing other RPGs and having in the back of your mind, like this system doesn't feel quite right. And then, yeah, I mean, it makes sense. I mean, we, we, we actually make a joke because we had taken a, an early design of ours called Adventure of the World of Crozen uh, to conventions to do playtesting in the 90s. Uh, and that system was nowhere. It doesn't, it doesn't look anything like Mesa's. Um, you know, it was definitely of its time. Um, uh, but, like, if we had done that game, it would have been a fantasy heartbreaker. It would have, you know, it would have, I would have lost my car, you know, because uh, no one would have bought that game. So, in that sense, it did you know, take 25 years to get to, to basis. And so for anyone who's trying to either design an RPG or even like a system, do you have any advice for those kinds of designers? Yeah. So for people that are trying to design an RPG, I always ask the same question, right? Which is for your RPG to be interesting, you need characters and they need something to do. Um, so, you know, what are you doing? Like, so Mazes is a bad example because Mazes is, you know, pretty generic in, in, in those things. And usually you want something to be as specific as possible. Um, uh, uh, and for most people, the thing is, is I think a lot of people are like, well, we're going to create our own system. And you're going to see a lot of that over the next couple of years, especially with the explosion from the OGL. Um, but creating systems is way more, uh, way less interesting than creating good games. Um, good games can be made from any number of systems. There's so many systems that are out there and it's about pairing the right system with the right game. What is it that you want to do? So, so if you have a really good idea for a game, but you're kind of lost about what kind of system you should check out ninth level games as polymorphs and see if it fits for you. That's my advice. And if it doesn't, you know, then go do something else. That's awesome. All right. Well, then, and then personally, you, do you have any projects that is that are like coming out that you think people should check out? So Return to Dark Tower that we talked about, that's our next big project. Um, a secret, the, the probably the next, the, the next big, our next Kickstarter is for the next version of Cobalt Date My Baby, our original game. Um, that's actually, it's not a Kickstarter, it's a backer kit. It's going to be on backer kit in a few weeks. 
Um, that's going to be so much fun. Uh, same dumb, same dumb jokes. Brand new rules. We're moving Cobalts to the Polymorph system. Um, off the instead of the system that it's been for the last twenty years. Uh, Damn, very cool. And then uh, in the sometime in the late summer or maybe early fall, we're going to get uh, our next big mazes product, which is called Beyond the City of Skull, uh, and that'll be our first campaign world for mazes. And it's a cool, weird fantasy world where uh, elven wizards had destroyed everything and now, uh, you know, uh, there's a a human city built uh, in the wreckage whose entire purpose is to travel and go down into dungeons and find old ruins to keep, keep the city going. So super cool. Sweet. Well, I look forward to checking those out and seeing them in the future. All right. Well, then my last question for you is if you could be the designer of any game you did not design, which one would you choose? Uh, So my answer for this is very clearly the Siege of the Citadel, which is a miniatures based board game from the 90s designed by Richard Borg. Um, It was designed for uh Parker Brothers. It's based on the Mutant Chronicles miniature war game that was put out in Sweden by Target Games. It's been published by a number of companies since then. Um, Modifius did a new version of the game two years ago. Like they made new new sculpts and new things. But the game is so good that after 25 years and all of the things and all the advances, they basically only added a couple of things to the game. It's still the same game because that's how good that game was. Damn, still holding up that well. It still holds up. In fact, you can just play the original uh, 10 daunting missions, 10 impossible missions. It's so good. I still love that game. All right. Well, it sounds like a solid game to choose then. Yeah, it's definitely the one that uh, that I would that I would have loved to have been the designer. Beautiful. Well, then, thank you for joining us for this episode of Game Design Unboxed: Inspiration to Publication, Episode Fifty Seven: Mazes, Fantasy, Role Playing. And thanks again, Chris, for joining us. Anyone trying to find you on social media? Where can you be found? Well, Daniel, I can be found on social media. So you can find us on the internet at ninthlevel.com. That's nine t h l e v e l dot com. Uh, you can find us on at Ninth Level Games on all of the different socials. Insta, you know, etc. Uh, even tick, even TikTok, uh, where you can find my good friend Yeet, uh, the Cobalt. Uh, he does a bunch of stuff on TikTok. You can get me personally at All Hail King Torg on Twitter um, or on Facebook at Ninth Level. Awesome. And then I'm your host, Danielle Reynolds. If you're looking to find me on social media, you can check out my Instagram and my Twitter under the username Token Gamer, and that's G-A-Y-M-E-R for the gamer part. But thanks again, Chris, for uh, being on the show, and I look forward to seeing you in person again soon. Yeah, we'll see you soon, Danielle. <laughs> yes, and also I need to play one of your Polymorph games because I now have like had two of them on my show, so we need to do it. <laughs> we will make a. We will make. We will talk about that. We will. Yes. We will make that happen next time I see you. Thank you for joining Danielle for another episode of Game Design Unboxed: Inspiration to Publication. 
If you'd like to hear more great gaming podcasts, check out nodirectionpodcast.com. Join us next time.